What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin. So many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. Follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All those links will be there for you in the show notes. This week, we are joined by Dr. Christy Sumner, who is a founding member of Soul Sisters Paranormal. Christy and her team investigate paranormal activity, both at locations famous for paranormal activity and when individuals or businesses reach out for help. Dr. Sumner's approach to these investigations is grounded in research and objectivity, and she mirrors a journalist in many ways. The goal of the investigations is to try and explain a phenomenon that is being experienced rather than to try and prove the existence of something paranormal. I greatly appreciate Christie's candidness and her realistic and down-to-earth approach when discussing a subject that can be heavily sensationalized. I'm really excited to share the conversation, so let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Christy Sumner. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Walker. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so I actually, I'm failing to address you appropriately. You're actually Dr. Christy Sumner. Is that correct? I am, yes. <laughs> yes. And so you, though, the reason that you're on the show here today is to talk about uh, Soul Sisters Paranormal, um, which is a, a paranormal investigation group. Now, I, I will have, just have to ask up front, which the answer is probably obvious, but is the PhD in any way related to the paranormal investigating or is it a completely separate field? Oh, it's a completely separate thing. Um, actually, okay. my, myself, my twin sister, um, we both have our PhDs. Our younger sister has a JD and then we have another JD and a master's holder on the team. Um, and it really just kind of evolved that that team membership just really kind of evolved that way. Um, but we all had our degrees before we formed Soul Sisters Paranormal. It was just something that we just all kind of fell into that we've always had of a, a belief in. And so we just uh, decided to form the team. Yeah, well, I think it. I think it actually lends um, credibility to to the, the 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 operation, if you will, or the idea of it. Because obviously, with paranormal stuff, there's a bit of mystery kind of surrounding it. But knowing that you have people that <laughs> clearly, if you have PhDs, know how to do really in depth research and verify things, and you know what I mean. Like it's not it's not just all willy nilly. Like you've probably got a very specific. <laughs> process that you're looking at this information through. No, and I just appreciate you saying that. Uh, and and sure. for us, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is something that we're able to utilize and and bring into our investigations. Um, you know, it's one of the things we feel very strongly about to be able to do the research specifically on the histories of the locations that we visit, um, as well as kind of use that to drive our investigations. You know, we always go into our investigations with a healthy skepticism and try to mm. find things that can be explained, you know, light pollution, noise pollution, um, different things like that that we always control for as we go into the, the investigations. And, you know, it's not to say that other teams don't do that, but for us, it, it is coming from a strong, as you said, research-minded background to be able to look at those things first, and then anything that we come up with after that is what we call unexplained. Mm, I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was reflecting back, I, I, I the, the, the earliest example I can remember where I thought I had encountered a paranormal experience was I was probably five years old and I was sitting in my bedroom and I heard, I heard this, this kind of whooshing sound. And I thought, clearly there is a ghost in the room with me. And so I kind of just tried to ignore it and it, it just kept happening. And so finally I, I shouted, what do you want from me? And it's like three in the afternoon on a Saturday, right? So <laughs> My parents <laughs> come in the room and they're like, what are you doing? And I explained what was happening. And they explained that it was actually the wind, which at that age, I was like, the wind doesn't make noise, though. Like, <laughs> how could this Aww. be? Um, was there was there an experience, though? Did you have experiences in, in your youth that kind of led, drew you to this later? Or was it something that you kind of discovered as an adult and interested in? 
We never really had a personal experience per se. We've always had a belief in the paranormal and an afterlife. You know, um, when you really look at, at what humans are made up of, of, of energy, and you know that energy can't be created or destroyed, we have to go somewhere. And so mm-hmm. we would always, you know, watch the, the popular television shows, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and such. And we'd say to ourselves, if we ever had the opportunity to go on a paranormal investigation, we would absolutely do that. And my sisters and I, after we, we finished our, our academic academic process um we moved to different parts of the country so we would routinely get together and have girls weekends and we'd meet up a few times a year and in 2013 we actually had the opportunity to go to the moundsville state penitentiary which is in moundsville west virginia and so we just decided to make it a girls trip weekend and do something a little bit different and so we stayed the night in the prison in moundsville and we came away with that from that experience with what we felt was compelling paranormal evidence you know we were hearing footsteps running through the darkness we were hearing door slams when we knew that there was nobody else on the property um we were hearing noises uh, i mean uh, voices again when we knew that we were only the only people in the room and so for us it was just one of those compelling things that said we wanted we want to look into this further we want to research this further and so now we go around the country to these historic and reportedly haunted locations and look for that unexplained evidence yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I so I I also have to ask: Is the prison the scariest location that you can investigate? Because it seems like an abandoned prison would be the worst place. I mean, maybe a mental asylum or something. I don't know, but uh, it seems horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, prisons and jails, they do have a certain feel when you go into them a little bit um, darker, I would say. Not so much uh, negative or demonic energy, but just a darker feeling. And I think that that stems from, you know, what they were used for. Uh, You know, they were housing the worst of the worst in society. So they do have a different feel when you go into them. Um, And you're right. Asane Asylums do have (laughs) an interesting feel as well. We investigated at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which is in Weston, West Virginia. And we came away with again, some very compelling uh, uh, evidence, what we felt was compelling evidence from that investigation. So uh, to your point, yeah, jails and insane asylums, they do have a certain feel. Um, But I think anytime you're dealing with, you know, the unexplained, you know, you can be sitting in a dark room anywhere, whether it be a prison or a jail or a civil war hospital. And when you start hearing things through the darkness, it it is a little bit, uh, it's a different, um, it's kind of a different feeling for sure. Yeah, well, so I mean, I, that that's another thing I I was gonna ask. I guess just do are you experiencing just abject fear while you're at at these locations? If there is, you know, some some sounds or some light shifts or anything. I mean, are you are you scared? Are you afraid that you could be hurt or or something? Honestly, no. We we've never been scared or fearful when we've gone into these locations. Now, I'll preface that by saying we we have gotten startled. You know, when you're standing in a a prison cell block and all of a sudden uh, one of the the cell doors slams down the cell block and you know that nobody's standing there, that is that that moment of being startled. But for us, we actually kind of run towards it and and see if we can find out what caused that to happen. Um, so it, it is an interesting feeling for us. You go in again. You go into these places most of the time at night and it, it's like you've got to rely on the other senses because sight really becomes irrelevant at that point. Um, you know, you're relying on your hearing, you're relying on your feeling and, and your touch and, you know, being more aware of your surroundings, but it's never anything that for us we've been scared of. Uh, it's mm. just one, it's actually more one of, of fascination, if you will. Right, right. It's so interesting. You know, it. I on this show, I have a lot of life coaches and personal development people and that sort of stuff, which is obviously a separate typically from probably paranormal investigations. But what's interesting that a line that I just kind of connected is conversations I've been having a lot recently have been about um, fear and, and how to overcome fear and how to deal with fear. And, and one of the, the answers that I've come to is it seems like curiosity is a really good uh, antidote to fear. Um, and I don't mean just like startle fear, but, you know, mm-hmm. legitimate life fear. I mean, I talked to a guy who was on the verge of suicide and then found himself finding new questions to ask about his life and pulled himself back out of that and, you know, and was able to, to turn things around. And so that's, but that's really kind of what you just said, right? Like there's, the, yeah. there is this fear cause it's unknown, but the curiosity almost shields you from that. 
Absolutely. And and that's a great point to draw in. And it is when we go into these locations, it is a curiosity for us. You know, the the, the thing that really drives us, you know, just to backtrack just a little bit, the reason we actually started this was to go to these historic locations and really tell the historical narrative of these locations, because the history is what really drives us first and foremost. And then if we can couple that with unexplained paranormal evidence, then we'll do that to, again, to extend the narrative of the location. Um, and, and that's what we put forth in our videos. And that's what we put forth, you know, in, in the stories that we tell about these locations, because we feel that the history is, is what is most important to preserve these locations, to tell their stories and preserve those locations. And then again, when we can find things that are, are compelling and unexplainable, we couple that with the narrative of the, of the history. And then hopefully we can, you know, give that to our audience and share that with our audience. So they may have an interest in those locations as well. So for us, we also want the history to drive and, and to carry our videos along with the paranormal. Right. Which is, which is, which is definitely an interesting way to approach it because then it takes it away from, takes it away from, isn't even the right way to say it. It, it adds to, you know, obviously there's a, the paranormal things are, are what we're kind of talking about, but then by adding the emphasis on the history of it, it potentially allows it to be, to draw in people who maybe would have been skeptical of the paranormal that, Hey, this is still a really good history lesson. And then now once people can see the concrete evidence that you have there, now maybe that lends more credibility again to the, the paranormal type of things. Exactly. And, and we're not, again, our videos aren't for, you know, for people to say, Oh, I, I highly believe it or highly, or I highly don't, you know, again, mm-hmm. it, it is to, to really give that historical perspective. And then if you want to continue watching and find out that, and, and really know that this is how we approach the investigation. You know, we put cameras here, we did this, there was this many people on the property that night. And then when we controlled for everything, this is what we're left with these unexplainable, you know, noises, voices, or shadow figures. And you can, as a viewer, you can choose to believe it or, or not. And, and, and again, that's, that's really your perspective on our investigation. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. What I'm trying to do is saying, you know, we, we did this, we went here, we controlled for this and these are the things that we can't explain in that moment um you know again if somebody wants to come back and say well i think it's this this or this i'd love to have that dialogue with them and and really find those answers but for us it's really trying to advance one that that historical perspective like i said and then two that that paranormal quest that that what we're looking for um that that you know i don't think we'll ever truly find the answer to but at least it lends to the conversation Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, you've talked a little bit about your process, and I watched some of the the videos that you guys have made. Um, can you and you have you have you know a couple of phases that you kind of go through. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of explain to folks how how you guys approach? You know, if if you got called to a location, what happens after you agree to go out there? Sure, absolutely. So the first thing that we actually do is when we go to a location, let me backtrack quickly. We actually have two types of investigations. The first one is what I call commercial locations. Um, Those are places like West Virginia State Penitentiary or the Lizzie Borden House or the Villisca Axe Murder House, the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Those are places that are they have a monetary gain from from tourists going there, from paranormal investigators going there, and we'll investigate those locations really to build our portfolio and to really enhance our techniques. The second type of investigation are those private businesses or homeowners that will call us to say, I think I'm experiencing something in my house or my business. So we do both those types of investigations, and we approach them pretty much the same way. The first thing that we'll do is we'll go to the location during the day, and we'll look at everything in and around the location again to see if we can find environmental factors that could cause somebody to think that there's something paranormal going on so we'll look for light pollution like street lights or car lights headlights and that sort of thing we'll look for wind pollution um are there trains in the area what's the airline traffic look like you know are there dogs kids or anything like that in the area so we really take copious notes of, of what the location looks like in the daytime and that really allows us also to figure out where we're going to leave what we call our stationary equipment the night of the investigation. So when we go into the location during the nighttime, we'll leave night vision video cameras, we'll leave voice recorders in certain areas around the property so we always have eyes and ears 
on the location, even if we're not in a specific room or a cell block or a hallway, we always have eyes and ears on that. And so then we'll proceed with the investigation. So we'll go in and we have different pieces of handheld equipment that we'll take with us. And essentially we just sit and ask questions, Uh, you know, um, basically, who are you? What's your name? Can we tell your story? Will you permit us to tell your story? Um, You know, what happened here? Just various questions, again, driven by our research that we've done prior to, to going to the location. So we'll ask these questions. And, and, you know, sometimes our investigations last 10, 12, 24 hours. And then after that, we will collect all of our, our, our cameras and our voice recorders and everything that we have recording. And then we'll go back and we'll watch all of the footage that we captured and listen to all of the audio footage that we captured to see if we can come up with things that are unexplainable. So, for example... We were investigating a a Civil War hospital in Gordonsville, Virginia, and we have only female investigators, so there were five of us in this hotel at the time, and three of us were outside, two of us were inside the hotel, but the voice recorder that was in one of the bedrooms captured a male's voice saying, I don't know, I'll be back at 4.30, and then it later captured a child's voice saying, hi, this is my bed. So that's unexplainable to me because we have no children and we have no men in the building at the time. They're not even anybody on the property that's a male or a child. So those are the things that would be considered unexplainable when we go through all of that audio and video footage. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, it's I, I, it's it's fascinating the how you've explained it, um, because certainly the way that I had framed some of the questions so far, you know, some of our conversation already was was kind of as if you're trying to convince people that this is a thing or not a thing, but as you've clearly outlined, that's not really the the goal, and so really, you're almost more comparable to like a journalist, right, where you're just trying to get as as much context as possible collect as much information possible and then present whatever was found kind of regardless of what side of, you know, paranormal here or not, it falls on. And that is a great way to say that because I will routinely refer to myself as a historical journalist. Mm. Um, you know, again, to, to do that research and bring out the historical aspect of these locations. And then if we find things that, again, we can't explain, then I'll bring that into the video and say, listen, we, we set up these cameras here. I can tell you that this many people were in the building. There were no men. There were no children. There were no dogs or anything else like that. And this is what we captured that, again, was unexplainable. So uh, you're, to your point, you're absolutely absolutely right. I, a historical journalist is exactly what we do. Mm, yep. Yep. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I guess is, you know, you guys have been to a pretty wide variety of locations looking at, at the list of videos that you've, you've got. Mm-hmm. Is there, I, I guess I'll ask this, how, how are you finding places primarily? I mean, I know you said there's kind of a couple of different types. You've got commercial clients, I guess we could say, and then more your standard residential or consumer side clients. Are are you primarily getting those kinds of folks reaching out to you or is it more the commercial side that, that you work with? A little bit of both. Um, okay. We have people that will, will contact our, our website. We have a contact uh, page on our website. And so they'll email us and say, hey, don't think I'm crazy, but I have this. I'm experiencing this. Can you come and investigate? And we'll absolutely do that. Um, you know, it's one of those things that we don't charge for this. This is actually all a self-funded project for us. And But we'll go to these locations and we'll, we'll really try to bring them peace of mind. Um, mm. That first, that they're not crazy. And then two, that if there is something going on in their business or in their home that we can't explain, we'll give them options on how to to either live with it or to get rid of any entity that that we feel could 
could be inhabiting that location. Um, so those type of, of investigations, people contact us and then we'll go forward from there. Um, the other locations, the, the commercial locations, are really those that we've either had a fascination with that we want to get to um, or that will call us in and say, hey, I know your team investigates here, here, and here. Do you want to come and investigate my location as well? And, uh, and Or we'll just call up some people or, or an owner of a location and say, hey, this is what we do. Would you mind if we brought our equipment and stayed the night and, and see if we can find anything compelling that we can't explain? So it really just kind of runs the gamut like that. But, um, you know, uh, as I said before, the commercial locations are really those that uh, we have a historical fascination with. Um, places like Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia mm-hmm. or the Lizzie Borden House in Massachusetts, the Villiscax Murder House in Iowa. You know, those are those are really locations that if you're a paranormal investigator, they're, they're pretty much on your bucket list. Gotcha. Yeah, there's this one might be as well. I had some friends years ago that got well, they got married in, in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and then they had their reception at some hotel. You're nodding. I, you, you know what hotel I'm talking about there in Eureka Springs? <laughs> yeah, I, there's there's actually a couple. I think the, the, oh, the okay. one, the, the Crescent. Um, yes. I think it's is it it. the Crescent Hotel. Yeah, the yep. Crescent Hotel is there. And it, it's actually um, that is one that is on a bucket list of most paranormal investigators. <laughs> so would you ever want to go abroad to do this? Like are there locations abroad, like maybe some old castles or anything? It seems like with Europe, you could get some really rich history just because the stuff's been there for so long. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We would love to go abroad and we're actually planning that for September of this year. Um, cool. It just really kind of depends on on everything that's going on in the world right now. But uh, right. yeah, especially Ireland, uh, there's a castle there called Leap Castle that is is a place that I just really want to get into and investigate just again for the historical perspective, but also it's, it's, it's supposed to be one of the most haunted locations in the world. So yes, absolutely. Uh, Canada, we've got we're eyeing some locations in Canada as well, um, as well as Australia. Logistically, that's a little bit further, but right. <laughs> Australia is, is on our list as well. So, no, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll get to international locations soon. That's cool. That's a that, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess, what would you say is a, a I don't know if I like. What do you think people misunderstand? the most that's not even a good way to say it but like what's a a, a top misconception i guess is the easiest way to say it for me that people have about what you do um what do you what do you find yourself correcting people on most commonly and that's a great question. I think a lot of the misconceptions are driven by the popular television shows. Uh, mm. You know, you've got things like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and some others out there that um, really they they appear to wrap up an investigation within a 60 minute time frame, right? So they have an investigation, right. they have the setup, they have this cool stuff. Um, and then, then they'll tell you whether or not they believe it's haunted. So it, it's a little bit truncated from what we do. Um, there is a lot of, of labor-intensive things that go into what we do. Um, as I said before, our investigations last anywhere from, from 10 to 24 hours. And then after that, like I said, we sit and listen and watch everything that we captured on our stationary equipment. So if I've got 10 voice recorders running for 10 hours, I'm listening to 100 hours of audio. And so wow. it, it is a, a labor-intensive process, more so than, than television shows would portray. And then it, it really isn't all action all the time. I mean, 90% of the time you're, you're sitting in dark rooms and you're essentially talking to air and you're hoping that you're going to hear something. You're hoping you're going to see something. Um, but in most cases it doesn't happen. You end up capturing things on your stationary equipment, but in the moment, um, it, it really isn't as, um, high octane as some of the, the shows, uh, would, would allow their audiences to believe. Um, right. so it, it really is for those of us who are in the paranormal community that are really in it for the history, um, and, and, it, and really approach this as a labor of love, if you will, things like those popular television shows and especially YouTubers as well, who go in and really try to have these, these jump scare creep factor type of investigations. Um, it, it really kind of does a disservice for those of us who are really delving into the historical aspect, the historical narrative of these locations Mm, yeah that makes sense that makes sense so i don't know i don't know how to ask the question exactly so i'm just going to shoot for it and we'll see but (laughs) is there a religious element to this at all and and i don't necessarily mean what is your system Mm -hmm. of faith or or anything like that but I, i guess i just mean like 
do you think that the the paranormal entities that you have potentially encountered at least are um i guess the reason i'm where i'm trying to go is like earlier you you were describing energy which maybe is something that's more for lack of a better term spiritual in nature mm -hmm. versus dogmatic religion right mm -hmm. um so I guess, do you feel like the, the, the entities or, or the, the paranormal activities that you have, have discovered or witnessed are tied more to that spiritual energy idea or more of, the, of a religious thing? Or is it a mixed bag? Or does that question not make sense? <laughs> no, no it, it does make sense. And I understand where you're going with it, I think. Um, you know, first of all, I'll just say that, that I am a Christian and, and I had that religious background. So when I say the next realm, what I'm referring to in my mind is a heaven. And mm. so for us, this has really strengthened that, that belief because it, it does say to me that there is something after this. Now, mm. my belief differs a little bit from other teachings that we will ascend automatically upon death. And so I believe that there are a couple reasons why a, a spirit or a, a being or an entity will be allowed to remain closer to the veil or earthbound, if you will, more so than, than going all the way up to heaven. The first one is um, unfinished business. I know you, we hear that a lot in, in popular media, but I, I do believe that there are unfinished business. There are things that have to be fulfilled um, for that spirit to be comfortable enough to move on. And so for an example of that, um, my grandfather, my granddaddy, he died in 1986. And, and he and my Nana were extremely close. And, uh, you know, it, she it really broke her heart when she passed, uh, when he passed. And um, so in 2000, and I was extremely close with my Nana. So in 2016, I had an extremely vivid dream. Um, it was it was almost like a nightmare the first time I had it, and it happened three nights in a row. The first time he came, it, it, I, I had this dream. My granddaddy he came into this dream. It was a very specific location in the house that they used to live in, and he he looked at me. He made this moan and he walked through the wall, and it, it really freaked me out. Like I said, I thought it was a nightmare, and so it happened twice more. And I was telling my mom about it, and she said, "Well, why don't you just ask him what he wants?" So when he appeared again in the dream the very next night. I looked at him and I said, Granddaddy, what do you want? And he looked at me and he said, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. And about two weeks, this was in 2016, about two weeks later, um, we got a call that my Nana was in an accident. She broke her hip and she never really recovered from that. So we had to put her into hospice. So she was in hospice for about three weeks. And so when she passed and with permission from my family, the day she passed, I looked at my twin sister and I said, I know where she's going. She's going to meet granddaddy in that house, in the location where the dream was. And so the power had been turned off to the house because she had been in hospice. So we went to that house. We stood in the location where it was in my dream. And we have two pieces of equipment that we use called K2 meters. And these meters are designed to measure electricity. Now, if there's no electricity in the location, theoretically, they should not go off. If there's nothing acting upon them, they shouldn't go off. Um, it has a light array that goes from green if there's no power to red if there is some type of an energy source around it. So we had two meters. One was gray and one was black. So we're standing in that location and we start asking questions. And I said, Nana, are you here? And both of those meters went up. Uh, they lit up. And I said, Granddaddy, are you here? Both of those meters lit up. And I said, uh, can you just go to the gray meter and not go to the black meter? The gray meter just lit up. So through a series of questions, we were able to determine what I believe is my granddaddy was there. He met up with Nana and they moved on together after that because we went back a week later and did the exact same experiment with the exact same equipment and we got nothing. We've got zero responses. So the unfinished business was fulfilled. Granddaddy and Nana moved on and I don't expect to see them again as a spiritual being. Um, so that's that's unfinished business. The second one is I, I think that they know that they are deceased, but they can't find a way to get to what's ever next. They're stuck. Um, so I think we find this a lot with kids that don't really understand how to get to that next realm or they don't have a guide mm -hmm. to get them there yet. Um, when we were investigating the Hales Bar Dam, which is in Tennessee, um, this was a dam that was built um, in uh, the early 1900s, and it was in operation until 1962, and it has a series of tunnels that runs underneath it, and in the mid-1950s, there was an accident, and some children were killed in, in these tunnels. 
So when we were investigating there in 2019, we were asking different questions and my investigator, Michelle, said, why are you still here? Why haven't you moved on? And we captured a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. So in that instance, he knows he's deceased, but he can't find whatever's next. He's stuck for some reason. And so then the third one is, um, I believe that there is fear or retribution of what is coming next, um, what type of punishment they're going to receive because of the life they lived on earth. And I think we feel, we see that a lot in jails or prisons, um, because they didn't, you know, lead the best lives in, on this earth that they're, they're comfortable staying where they are because they don't want to face whatever's next because of of the life they lived here. Um, so that's the three reasons why I feel that, that spirits remain. I don't think it's so much religious for me back to your original question, but I, I think that that's the reason why, um, at least in my mind, that those are my personal theories as to why we're able to communicate with some of these beings, with some of these entities. So, so then like, I guess, have you, would you ever think to attribute paranormal activity to, um, and this is still kind of more in the religious vein, I guess, but something like, like a demonic kind of thing or anything extraterrestrial, like aliens, does that come into play at all? Or is that not really in the scope of your thinking? Uh- a lot of paranormal investigators do hold on to the fact that that there is some UFO component. Personally, I don't hold to that. Um, I don't subscribe to that. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that it, it, it's not possible, because in, in our world, sure. anything is possible. But for me, that's not really what I'm looking for. When we go to these locations, we are actually trying to communicate with those entities or spirits that we feel had a human existence, that they lived on Earth, they had that human existence, and w- they want to either tell us their story or communicate with us in some way. Um, so for me, it's, it's not so much anything extra extraterrestrial in that regard. Um, and then to your, to the first part of the question, I think that in, in, in the world, there's obviously good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the entities that, that we encounter to some extent, they have that, that evil ability or that darker ability. But for me, we've never encountered anything that I would say is demonic. Now for me, demonic is different than the evil or the bad of the world. Demonic are those things that are, are basically, you know, the, the, the struggle of, of that religious aspect, right? So we don't go in and look for anything demonic. We don't approach it that way. Um, and so for us, because of that, we've never experienced anything that I would consider demonic. Now we had, we have encountered things that I would consider darker. Um, and we, again, we see those in prisons, but I, again, I feel that those are the spirits of things that are are humans that, that weren't so great in life. So we, uh, we approach them, we do approach those a little bit differently, but for us, you know, through all the investigations that we've done, again, we've been all over the country. I, I would say we have not encountered a demon or anything that we would consider demonic. Earlier when you were explaining something, you, you'd mentioned um, when talking about how you deal with or not deal with, but help people that think that they maybe have are having a paranormal experience, their personal residence or their personal business. And that if, in fact, you conclude that there is something unexplainable and they would like to try and deal with that, um, which could be that they just learn to accept it and cope with it and it's fine or potentially try and evict whatever that may be. What kinds of methods then are you employing to do that? 
Well, and just to back up a second to your sure. question, you know, as I said before, what we do is we, we try to go in and look for things that we can explain first. And sure. I'd say probably about 60 to 70% of those investigations, we do find something that is explainable. So for example, we were called in to investigate a business and it is a storefront business and it's the storefront is all glass. And then he has some mirrors running down the side of the business and he had some glass um, display cases in the build, in, in the business. So we went, he, he, he called us, he was convinced that there was something going on because his night vision video cameras were going crazy at night. They were turning off, off and on. And so in his mind, it, it was extremely paranormal. He was, he was convinced that, that there was a ghost in his, in his establishment. And so he called us in and we did the investigation. And when we went there that night, we weren't feeling anything. None of our handheld equipment was, was alarming or giving us any indication that there was anything spiritual. Or, or paranormal that, that we could find. So we left some night vision, some of our night vision video cameras in different locations in the business. So when we went back the next morning, I asked him, I said, did your cameras go off? And he's like, yes, they, they went off. It was a very active night. And I said, okay, give me the timestamps of when your cameras went off. And I'm going to see if, and I'm going to cross reference, reference those with mine. So what we found was the, the the way the storefront was situated, it was on a road that had a high amount of U-turn traffic. So when the cars would make a U-turn on the road, the headlights would jump into the, through the glass. It would bounce off the mirror and into his night vision video camera, essentially blinding the camera and turning it off and then turning it back on. So uh-huh. be, because it happened so fast, he's not he's not thinking that it's anything um, you know environmental. But we were able to say, if you change the angle of the camera or take the mirrors down, I think that the paranormal activity that you're experiencing will cease. And it did. So we'll go in and look I for see. things like that, that people really don't maybe not have that mindset of, to think through. And um, so that's what that's how we'll pro- approach an investigation. Now, when we go in and, and when we find things that we can't explain. So, for example, we were doing a residential investigation. And the homeowner told us that she was scared, um, that she felt that she was being pushed. There were cold spots in her house. Um, she didn't feel comfortable there. So we asked her to, to go stay with a friend for the night, and we investigated this location. And we actually picked up things that I can't explain. So we captured a shadow figure. Um, we heard a male's voice in the basement saying, hey, I'm back here. There was nobody in the basement at the time. Um, so we captured, some again, some things that we can't explain. So when we, we gave her that information... We sat down and we gave her some options. So we, we told her, we, we have some things here that we can't explain. And if these are making you uncomfortable, then we have either a, a, a priest or a demonologist that we will call in and mm-hmm. help you resolve that um, to, to either bless the house or help you remove the spirits and, and that that you can deal with what you're experiencing. And so that's how we really approach those type of investigations. Now we have some that will say, Hey, it's cool. I can say I live in a haunted house. They don't hurt me. I just want some validation that I'm not going crazy. Right. And and, right. and a lot of people are fine with that. But uh, if it's something that they're scared of or they don't want to live with, then we have somebody that will call in. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I also was reading that, that you also offer consulting for other people that would like to, to do this kind of thing. How, how much, uh, how many opportunities, I guess, do you have to, to, to do that, to consult other paranormal investigators? Uh, we do different collaborations um, several times a year. And that's the one thing that's really cool about the, the paranormal community is you're able to find those groups or teams or people that are really like-minded, that that are in it for the exploration, that are in it for um, the, the historical aspect, that aren't just looking for, you know, jump scares on a Saturday night. And so we actually do quite a bit of collaborations with other teams in the field. Um, you know, uh, one of the ones that we've done extensively with is uh, Ghost Biker Explorations. Um, the investigator is Miranda Young, and she's she's an amazing investigator because she has that same historical perspective that we do, um, but she comes at it with some different ideas. So it's a really fun time when we collaborate with her. Um, there's some other groups that we'll be collaborating with this year, and it's just it's just an amazing experience to be able to find those type of of people that really kind of um, mirror your investigation style as well as that that historical perspective on what we're doing. So collaborations are a very big thing for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like that would be be quite quite a bit of fun. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned you know have some different ways of thinking about it. 
but something that I was curious about, which you've described some of it already, but what kind of equipment are, are you having to use? And when you started this, did you find yourself having to learn about all sorts of new kinds of equipment to, to do this? Mm-hmm. And that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the, the very best thing that we take is our voice recorders. And these are just $30 Amazon voice recorders. And if anybody is looking to get into the paranormal field, that would be the piece of equipment that I would recommend you start with. And so, and the reason that, that we rely on them so much is for me, EVPs or what we call electronic voice phenomena, um, those things that um, are noises that either we hear or don't hear in the moment, such as um, a, a voice or a noise or a door slam or something like that. EVPs, in my mind, are the truest form of, of paranormal activity and those that are extremely compelling because they're very hard to debunk. Uh, you know, I'll go back to that that Civil War hospital. It's very hard for me to debunk a, a man's voice when I know that there are no men on that property or a child's voice when I know that there's no child there. So finding um, things on our voice recorder or capturing things on our voice recorder, it, to me, is, is extremely compelling. So the voice recorder is our, our number one piece of equipment. We have uh, night vision video cameras, just simple, uh, basically home security cameras that run off batteries. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll put those in different parts of, of the location when we get, when we do the investigations. Um, we have a couple of pieces of equipment that are a little bit more specialized. Again, those K2 meters, those things that are designed to measure electromagnetic energy. Again, the idea being that spirits are made up of energy. And if, if we go to locations that have no power in them and these, start, these things start to alarm, that could be an indication of something paranormal or, or a spirit trying to communicate with us. Uh, we have a device called a REM pod, which essentially works the same as a K2 meter. It's designed to measure electromagnetic energy, but it also has an audible alarm. So you can, you can actually hear it if it starts to go off. Um, we have, uh, something called an SLS camera, which generally speaking is a camera connected to an iPad. That iPad has an algorithm on it. And when it perceives that camera perceives a human figure in a space, it will display it as a stick figure on the screen. So that allows us to, you know, sweep this camera around a dark room. And if it perceives something that it it, it thinks is a human form, it will put it as a stick figure on the screen. So we've used that to some extent. Um, So just different pieces of equipment like that is what we'll take. Um, We're also very big on what we call trigger items. And trigger items are those items that would be germane to the situation or to an event that is said to have happened in the location um, that's designed to elicit a response from a, a, a spirit or an entity. So for example... Um, when we were at Fort Mifflin, which is in uh, in Philadelphia, this is a, uh, a Revolutionary War fort. It was also used in the Civil War. And during the Revolutionary War, there was a prisoner that was held in a solitary confinement unit, and he was tried for treason and actually kill, uh, hung on the fort um, for treason. And so when we went to investigate it, we wanted to take items in that somebody in solitary confinement would would want. So water, a piece of bread, a cigarette. So we Mm. left those things to say, we acknowledge that you are here. We acknowledge that these are items that you could have used in your, your moment of solitary confinement. We're leaving those for you. And if you want to communicate with us, here they are. Um, and we actually got an interesting response because of that. We, um, myself and another investigator, Kara, we were the only people in this room. And this is a subterranean room. It's about seven feet underground. And so there's no light pollution. There's no uh, wind or noise pollution that can, that can get into, that can permeate into this room. So Kara and I were in that room and I said, um, you know, I, I left you some water. I left you a cigarette and a man's voice said, thank you. And we captured that on all the pieces of equipment that we had running in that room. So because we we have those trigger items that are designed to elicit that type of response, I feel that we do get some very compelling pieces of evidence because of it. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And, and I mean, the, the recording of it all, again, you know, to your research and credibility and all of this, that, that's so <clears throat> essential and, and central to everything that you guys are doing. But, you know, I've known people that have, you know, lost a loved one or, or something. And, and they'll say, I feel like that person kind of like the story you were talking about earlier with your, your grandparents, where it's like, I feel like this person's here. And the skeptic in me is, is like, well, I mean, dreams are very compelling, right? And, mm-hmm. and a, if you're in a dream, you can think that it's real until you wake up, maybe. <laughs> um, 
and so it's like my skeptical mind when someone's like, oh, I feel the presence of this, you know, deceased loved one or whatever the case may be is like, well, I don't think that you're lying, not you, but the, the whoever the person is sharing this. I don't think they're lying necessarily as much as that. Well, the mind can create some pretty real things that that aren't tangibly there. But that is kind of debunked with the methods you're using by recording everything and, and by recording it now, not just the people there, but literally anyone who's able to watch or listen to what you've captured can also experience that same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very valid point that you bring up. You know, there there is a lot of, um, you know, theories in the, the paranormal community that you can essentially, quote unquote, create your own haunting um, just yeah. by that mental process of of going into a location and, and just just putting yourself in that that moment where you want something so badly that you're hearing something or seeing something um, because your mind is is working toward that goal. Um, and so to your point, you know, the, the voice recorder doesn't have that ability it's not that's not what it's there for the the night vision video camera that's not what it's there for but it's capturing those things um you know when it's when it's capturing a shadow figure um that's walking across a, a laser grid in this room where i have complete control of the environment you know that that's not me making that up that's not my mind working to to create this haunting that's that's mm-hmm. tangible evidence that i can say listen this was taken this was the time it was taken i can tell you where everybody else was located on the property um but yet i've got this shadow figure that looks human walking through a laser grid and that's that's very that's something that's very tangible um so to your point there there are people that have that you know create your own your own haunting theory but to your point again what how we do it, um, you know, it's really compelling to us that that's not what's happening. Right, right. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not purely a subjective feeling that someone's sharing because it's been mm-hmm. captured in, in a variety of other ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the website you guys have is, is soulsistersparanormal.com. Um, and certainly people can go there and, and contact you there. Is there anywhere else, though, if, if someone's listening and they wanted to either contact you about getting into this or, or if they want to check out the stuff you guys have investigated, is, is that the best place or is there anywhere else you'd like them to go? Yeah, our, our website is a great location because it has all the history of, of the team and, and where we go. Um, but we're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And then all of our videos and everything that we do, and you know, including lives and interviews and stuff like that, um, are is on our YouTube channel under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And uh, so those those are two avenues that you can you can watch and, and kind of follow along with what we do. But to get in contact with us, uh, the website SoulSistersParanormal.com is the best place to do it. Cool. Well, I'll make sure and have links in the show notes for that so people can just click directly on it. But uh, Christy Sumner, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain all of this and kind of walk me through the ins and outs of it, because clearly I was completely ignorant. Um, Yeah, really interesting, really interesting stuff that you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Walker. the, The support that you've shown for us has been amazing. And just thank you for having me on here and allowing me to tell my story.
march through dark and dream Rain roads in time McKay And footsteps frozen in the winter's freeze Into the void or a staring light Turning back is the same old Lord Ahead of me is the wild tree I'm the seller, no. I'm set standing here to break the waves, holding my crown like stone, breaking the tide that moves a million grains, bound like the dirt holds bone. And I'm facing doom, distant pursuit. folks well that's going to do it for the show today thank you so much again to dr christy sumner for coming on the podcast really enjoyed our conversation of course thank you to misha zarens for the music and last but not least thank you listener for listening to the episode i'd also encourage you to check out my other podcast pick up your sticks which is co-hosted by me and brett lindley pick up your sticks is a podcast about video games where we really try and talk about why gaming matters you can find pick up your sticks on any podcast platform again thanks for the listen have a great week stay up